A new study shows that Google searches for anxiety were the highest in the history of the search engine since the pandemic this spring. Researchers from the University of California, San Diego, analyzed Google trends dating back 16 years. They found that searches for information about panic attacks and anxiety spiked following COVID-related news events from mid-March to mid-May. There were 3.4 million total searches for anxiety. That's about 375,000 more than usual. The study was published in Monday's Journal of the American Medical association and it is not just anxiety but also depression that is affecting so many people in these uncertain times but as cbs 2's kieran Dillon reports one group is being hit especially hard before the coronavirus hit last spring juliana cheetah had felt anxiety before but nothing quite like this feeling of helplessness and uncertainty for the future suddenly the 28 year old found it hard to sleep without an appetite and often in tears Nichita now worried about her family back home in Italy her dating life on pause and her new career helping to run a Soho art gallery up in the air I definitely was questioning whether I had made the right career choice whether in the long term this is something sustainable but she's not the only young person feeling anxious or depressed. According to a recent survey by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, young adults and millennials reported some of the highest rates of mental health conditions in June. Manhattan psychologist Dr. Alexandra Straitner says she's seen an increase in young adults seeking help during this crisis, many who have never dealt with mental illness before. They may be having families, looking to buy a home, um, you know, working on establishing career, and of course, in the midst of the pandemic, that's been upended for many, many people. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Scott Savage. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church. And my hope is that this conversation will be shared far and wide because I think the value is going to be that strong. Uh, you saw in the video there the, the news story that we're living in unprecedented times uh, when it comes to COVID-19 and that, that health pandemic. But before COVID-19 was ever a word that we knew, there was an epidemic that was already going across our country. And that was an epidemic of mental health, rising numbers of people across all age brackets and honestly, all financial brackets, wrestling with things like anxiety, panic attacks, depression, suicidal ideation, and increasing isolation and loneliness. And so as we saw uh, some data come out within the last few weeks, honestly, that showed just how uh, strong and how significant uh, this, these experiences are, we thought it would be important to take some time uh, right now at the beginning of the fall and talk about this subject of mental health and the church. And so I'm joined on stage by some awesome, incredible counselors. And I just want to say that we are blessed as a church and blessed to live in a city like Prescott where we have so many incredible resources uh, to be able to draw on when it comes to mental health. But before I introduce them, I just wanted to share uh, with you something that I think hopefully is maybe the reason why you're leaning in right now. The conversation around mental health in the church has been slow in coming. Uh, there's a lot of topics that we need to talk more about, and I think one of those is mental health. Years ago, some of my friends and I were sitting around talking about life within the church and the good and the bad. And one of those things we, we discussed was when we sit around and share prayer requests, we often use a phrase. We say, hey, I have an unspoken prayer request. Now, often that means that the details are not for everybody to share. It would be gossip. And so there is some good reasons to use a phrase like that. But one of my friends who, who definitely falls in that cynical category, he said, when somebody says, I have an unspoken prayer request, what they really mean is, I don't trust you. 
And you say that that may sound a little bit harsh or that's sharp. Uh, m- maybe it is, but within that is a kernel of truth that I think sometimes there are things we want to share or would like to share or need to share, but we're not sure we can trust the other people or that we're safe. And so we leave those things as unspoken. And my prayer is that Cornerstone can continue to create an environment here on Sunday mornings where this is the most honest hour in your week. And my hope is today through this conversation, we can create some space for that when it comes to mental health. So I want to introduce our panel that's joining me up here today. Our first uh, pair is Joey and Robin Kaufman. Uh, they're not uh, unfamiliar faces to many of you. They've been up here with us before. Uh, Joey and Robin are the co-founders of 1010 Ministries. They're both board-certified Christian counselors, and uh, they're incredible resources, not only to our community, but to our church staff. Um, Robin's course, Surviving Epic Trials, was the inspiration for our Unsinkable series earlier this year, and I interviewed her as a part of that. Uh, moment of confession, Joey is actually my therapist. I've been meeting with him for two and a half years, and he's, uh, he's responsible for everything that's good in me. If I'm messed up in some ways, don't blame him. That's still my stuff. I'm working out. So I'm grateful to have them up here. Uh, Kyle and Stephanie Rosebaugh are next. Uh, they are counselors in our community as well. They're the co-founders of Grace and Peace Counseling. I get that correct? And they've been in our community for several years. They've been on our referral list for some time here at Cornerstone. We have someone who needs uh, a referral to counselors. We love recommending couples and families and even teens to them. And uh, they've been a great resource to us. And we're grateful for the stories that we hear from people who are your clients and the transformation that God's working in their lives. And then finally, we have our newlyweds over here. This is Rob and Elizabeth George. Sorry, Rob and Elizabeth Heinrich. (laughs) I even put the Heinrichs there. I'm just messing up your name, Elizabeth. I'm so sorry. Uh, Robin Louis Heinrich, and uh, they've been married since 2019, um, and they are uh, licensed professional counselors. And uh, Elizabeth was part of our In the Wilderness series back in February uh, before uh, we actually went into the wilderness. That's COVID-19. So you were like prophetic, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for that resource and that conversation. And uh, a lot of their work comes out of people who are dealing with trauma and with grief. And so uh, I wanted to have a conversation with all of you today. I invited all of them thinking they were not all going to say yes, but I'm so glad they all did. And I I just wanted to start here with this, this word unspoken. I said earlier that I think this, this topic of mental health is an unspoken topic in the church, and anybody can take this, this question, but why do you think this topic has remained so unspoken, so not talked about in the context of the church? Yeah, I think, uh, Scott, it goes back to a lot of my uh, earlier days, even growing up in a church, even in evangelical tradition, there were a lot of taboos and things that just weren't... Uh, not not only unpopular, but you were sort of compartmentalized away if you if you didn't fit uh, some of the expectations that certain church environments would would place on you. And so, if you brought up certain things like mental health or anxiety or depression, things that that were real experiences, and the the things that that were supposed to work stopped working, like. For example, reading more scripture or praying harder. Um, if those if those didn't work as well as they were supposed to, then the problem uh, was you, and then that left you feeling more isolated. And so you stopped speaking them out. You started to lose your voice, and you started to lose uh, a sense of who you were. And there was just no place to bring it. And all all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, 
over time you felt lonelier and more isolated. And so you just, you started to shut down and then there was no, there was just no place to go with that. And so that's why you stopped speaking those things out. And, and that, that was one of the, that was one of the struggles. I think now we're starting to see there's more space and more of a lane, more of a runway to start speaking and addressing these because the church is being, is realizing actually scripture speaks to these things. And Jesus is, is the, the model for, and the, the invitation to to speak to those places that have felt so isolated. Where else would we turn but to him? Absolutely. And I think you can say that there's like a variety of reasons people may not share. But I think it boils down to a couple of key things. Fear and pride. And you got people being really scared of being exposed. Like, I don't want my junk to be laid out and people to know this about me. And in certain church settings, it's appropriate in, in a sense to play the part and to portray that you're doing well. And in reality, it's, it's like, well, we, we have sin and we have issues and we have stuff to work through. And then the pride part keeps us there too. Um, I need to make sure that I'm doing the right thing and showing that to others. I, I think one of the phrases that um, has, uh, has, has really helped me uh, in my journey was I, I stumbled on a book that I think is on our resource list. We'll talk about in a little bit called emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, where Pete's Cazero, uh, the, the, the summary of the book is really a sentence that, um, it's impossible to be spiritually mature without also being emotionally mature, that those two are connected. And I know for me growing up in the church that, um, that might seem like fundamental or elementary, but I just missed that day in Sunday school. Um, if that day was ever offered, I never, ever heard that. And, um, and so because of that, I kind of divorced those two things. And so, um, this is a question again for anybody, but, but why is it so important that we put together maybe a mental or emotional health with spiritual health when it comes to thinking about discipleship, spiritual formation, becoming like Christ? This, I was going to comment on that last question, but this ties into it is I would say we're still trapped in allowing shame to have so much power over us and that and we have to deal with shame on a spiritual level that i mean that's that has been kind of the spiritual battle from day one um back in the garden of them feeling exposed when they recognized they were naked and then um emotionally and psychologically when we we feel we are wrong or bad or something that that's an issue of shame and those are wedded together do you do you have a good like sh- like shorthand definition for shame because i think all of us have can go mm-hmm. once we know what it is we go i've experienced it but um i think it's hard maybe to articulate does anybody on that panel have a good i like the idea of differentiating from guilt whereas uh guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. So guilt is an action and shame is an identity. Is that a good way? Yeah. Shame is who shame, I am. Shame happens when we don't resolve guilt. It becomes part of who we are. So. And I think I would just even add to that. I completely agree. It just is like sometimes guilt is one of those things that we can be, we can accept forgiveness for. And shame is something that lingers mm. where we aren't able to, to um, forgive ourselves and we kind of walk around with that, that critic inside. I think, um, you know, you make a good point. A couple of you guys talking about playing the part and expectations that I think for a lot of us, 
um, the reason that it is unspoken um, is, is a response to real experiences. And so for some of you who are watching today and you go, Scott, there's a reason that I don't talk about it. You know, I tried to talk about it and I got hurt. I, I want to acknowledge that right from the jump. Um, I've been in the room for that, um, and I've been the one on the receiving end of that, and probably somewhere along the way, I've been on the giving end for that. Um, that I think many of the ways that we, res- we relate to this topic of mental health is tied to a real personal experience. Um, and so if, if that's the case, you know, one of the questions that I had um, was, you know, uh, what are some of the roadblocks that get in the way? And I think that's one of them, is, is my past experiences around this are a barrier to what I need around this. Rob? Yeah, just as you were talking, um, as we were preparing for this, I was just thinking of Job and his his friends <laughs> Yeah, who um, blamed him for his problems. And this must be a hidden sin. This must be an unconfessed sin. I think we do the very same thing, um, maybe not as much with physical problems, but with emotional yeah, I, I don't. Problems. I don't blame you because your leg is broken, right. you know, and shame you for why haven't you gotten that healed? But right. you know, if it's something that's a little bit more invisible or harder to see, yeah, totally. Robin, did you I think, well, I think it goes back to this idea of emotional safety, and when you don't feel emotionally safe, you're not going to risk. And um, I don't. It's um, something we don't measure very much, but we're doing it at least subconsciously. If, if I feel safe with you, I'll speak. If I don't, I won't. And if you have, um, criticized me or ignored me, um, in the past, then I bring that into the moment when I have that next opportunity. And that's hard to break. And especially if from the church, if we haven't created that space to say, you're accepted, we're going to work this with you alongside you versus you better go get help mm. versus let's be part of that help process with you is Kyle, did you have a comment? Yeah. I think when you look at that idea of the uh, identity and you connect that with shame, we uh, can easily jump to the conclusion that shame is bad, but that's not the case because imagine what the world would be like if we didn't have any shame, we never felt any wrong for our wrongdoings. Why would we not do wrong? But when we take it too far and it becomes our identity, I am wrong. Like then we put ourselves in a, in a whole different space. That's very hard to move out from without help. And I just want to give an example to tie it back to this, this idea of unspoken and why it's hard to, to go there and why people stay silent. For example, say in a small group setting our life group in, in a church, um, often, in my experience, a small group leader will, will start out leading a, leading a group by saying, when everybody gets there, say, at 6.30 at night, so is everybody doing good? How's everybody doing tonight? We're all doing good? <laughs> that's not, There's there, a, an answer that's wanted in that context. That, that's not creating emotional safety because and if there is anything, that, that's reinforcing a cycle of silence, of, of not going there. And so that does not invite the authenticity or transparency to, to bring anything out. And what it does is it creates a surface level culture in, in that group. And if that transforms in, or that permeates into other groups, that's what that then becomes dangerously part of the church culture. And then that does not allow for, for the deeper places to go. And so then you can't even bring up the shame or the, the truer parts that need. And like Stephanie was saying that residue that just keeps lingering because shame can only really be, 
dealt with if it's talked about. It can't just be thought through and healed. It has to be spoken out. And so that's where we need to have more invitation. For example, is there anything anybody wants to share? Does anybody want to risk another level or another notch of vulnerability tonight? We're going to create some space for that, even if it means a different agenda. So we need a different approach even to our gatherings to invite a different trajectory, a different way of doing even small group. So what you're saying, let me just repeat back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned this from you. Um, what you're saying is that when, if, if I'm responsible for leading a group or if I have an influence in a group, that I can create a space that is safe mm-hmm. for people to talk just by acknowledging, hey, we don't just want to hear the good stories tonight. Hey, we know that we've had a, a variety of weeks, and so this is a place where if you need to talk about something you're going through that's hard, this is the place for that. So, you know, does anybody have anything to share about their week? And that could be good, or that could be something really hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the, we want leaders to have that, that capacity to be able to handle the ambiguity of that, not just, and, and that, that's another, another question, another issue, but we want to create invitation more than just let's get on with what we need to get through tonight in the agenda. Can I ask a question of Elizabeth? You've been quiet a little bit, and I'll make sure to include everybody. Uh, one of the big things that I know from you that's a key part of your practice is, is healing the way we relate to God. And so we've been talking primarily about the way we relate to each other um, and the way that shame shows up in those kind of social dynamics. But I think some of the same things that we're talking about that are barriers to our mental and emotional health relationally, like on a horizontal level, are also true on a vertical level. We're experiencing shame with God. We're experiencing a sense that I can't be honest with God or there's a barrier with God. Um, Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. I think that um, what happens in our horizontal relationships also reflects what we believe about how God sees us. And I think a tremendous part of the healing process is when we begin to talk about our shame And God enters into that space, and he makes his love known to us. Um, So we develop different ways of relating to people, and we carry those to God, too. And when he begins to break through those ways of relating, um, it's really transformational. And so not not just transformational for our relationship with God, but then it plays out in our relationship with other people. Absolutely. And I think one of the ways it does that is that when we know how we're loved by God— um, we have more confidence in being authentic with people. So that's awesome. Robin, you got something? Well, and I think again, where it's been hard within the church is to have feeling safe that we can bring up. I'm having issues with God right now. I'm actually angry. I, he, I feel he's disappointed me. Like that's very risky to say because Absolutely. that doesn't, that we're not highlighting the right the powerful attributes of God in those statements because we're wrestling and again to be able to talk about that until we can we're not going to be able to heal that part while you have the mic Robin one of the things that's been helpful for me this year because um, this year's been I mean I, I think I, I want to retire the word unprecedented but at the same time I, I need a new word that kind of does the same process um, is is identifying words that describe why it's been so unprecedented. And one of those words that I've discovered is the word trauma. Now, I think we tend to use the word trauma like with somebody who's gone to Afghanistan or Iraq and has gone to war and has PTSD, or maybe somebody who was through, went through a car accident was the only one who survived, or somebody who was kidnapped or trafficked or something like that. But you recommended a book to me earlier this summer that I listened to on a a road trip to Montana, the whole second day there was listening to this book and the book's called try softer by Andy Kolber. 
And she talks about the difference between big T trauma and little T trauma. Can you unpack that? I think for a lot of people who are watching, they've actually been going through trauma this year. They just didn't know that that's what they were going through. Right. Because one of the hallmarks of trauma is a feeling of powerlessness. And so we do chalk up big T trauma to, well, I, I haven't gone through this. I haven't been sexually violated. I haven't gone to war. So I dis- I dismiss this part of me where little T trauma is, is anything that, that, uh, an event that exceeded your coping mechanisms and, uh, has imprinted you with a sense of helplessness and, um, powerlessness. And so that could be from, uh, bullying, losing a pet, um, just the ongoingness of the pandemic of, of feeling constrained, uh, and not having our normal freedoms uh, over time, something like if it just happened for a few days or a week, that's one thing. But we're on month what right now? And so this compiles. And then you have that on top of, let's say, a sickness or a divorce or something. And you add all of those up. And, and you're talking about a series of little T's. And even though we're all going through it, we might not give it the weight it is, but it, it's weighty. It's trauma. And it counts. Now, you know, Rob and Elizabeth, you guys met in the context of uh, a facility in Arizona that's dedicated to helping uh, teens who've been through trauma and are dealing with grief, and that's manifesting in unhealthy ways. You know, what have you learned from helping people navigate grief and that kind of trauma in their lives? Yeah, it was teens and adults, actually. But um, when you mentioned grief or when we decided we were going to talk a bit about that I, th- I think in my own life I, I would start with that the lesson I learned without telling the whole story the day my dad died um, that was one of the most significant losses for me in that loss I lost uh, my earthly father I ended up gaining an intimacy with my heavenly father I'd never known and took me a while to figure that out that that's what had happened but um that really got me thinking about about grief and in life every every change we go through we're letting go of something but a definition of grief that i really love is letting go of what you cannot have to make room for what you can have so it's actually got a positive process to it so yes in working with eating disorders um and in any kind of recovery you have to let go of something that has become your comfort to make room for something that is better. I would add to that that in that process where grief can lead to hope, it's still important to let yourself be in the sadness, mm-hmm. to let yourself be in the disappointment of the grief, um, that there's healing that happens that really enhances the hope if you let yourself go there. And I think for a lot of us, we have a hard time, especially in the church, with embracing that sadness. I mean, even the majority of the songs that we sing, they tend to be the higher, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there is the place for triumphant joy, but there also has to be a place for those those other things, and that's where I think the Psalms are so powerful. Absolutely. I mean, David is really honest about his his grief, and it might not play as well on modern Christian radio, Mm -hmm. um, but... But it's there's a place for it in our lives and in the church. Um, and a, a, a lot of the work you do is helping people to have space 
to be able to face and embrace those emotions as something that's not to be rejected, but embraced. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things is earlier when we were talking about why it's taboo in the church, I think we've attached a lot of negativity to the more vulnerable, painful emotions. Mm. And so that when we begin to feel and we think, okay, there's something wrong with me that I'm feeling this. But that actually doesn't allow room for the Garden of Gethsemane. It doesn't allow room for the Psalms. It, it makes Christianity rigid and cold, and that's not who our Father is. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now, um, Stephanie, I know some of the people that we've referred to you over the years have not been adults. They've been students. And I think a lot of times we're thinking about how um, adults are navigating this, you know, losing jobs, you know, caring for parents. But some of the newest data from the CDC says that uh, 18 to 22-year-olds in the last 30 days, a quarter of them have considered suicide. 49% of them are battling anxiety. I'm sure these are some people that are in your office each week. So talk about how you're seeing this issue of mental health in the church play out even even among those who are youngest in the church. Yeah, so I think um, that being a teen, being an adolescent is a really hard time in our lives Um, because we're we're navigating who our parents maybe want us to be, um, who society and the world wants us to be, who we are in the church. And then ultimately, like, who we feel like our strengths are, where our weaknesses are. And so navigating all of that um, can be really pressuring. And um, so I think kind of what, where I really love to work with teens is, is helping them identify, like, who are you? And, and who are you in this world? And how did God give you those strengths? How did he want to use you in this world? Um, and helping them find their own individual voice in that. Um, and then working alongside their parents as well. So really, it's, it's, it's less about the kind of environmental moments or the cultural moment that we're in. It's more about that fundamental, you have to build that foundation of an identity of who you are and a healthy relationship with God mm-hmm. that really sets you up to equip and navigate those, those things. Is that... Yeah, I I don't want to make it, like, black and white, but, like, yes, those are some of the components, definitely, that I find um, in working with with the adolescent, young adult population. Absolutely. So, along with that, uh, I think you see a lot of uh, spiritual warfare going on, because wouldn't... The, wouldn't the enemy love for us to think, like, you can't escape this, you can't Mm -hmm. get out of this, and yet, if suicide is an option... Like, you could just end it all. And, and this could solve your problems. And in reality, that runs from it. It, uh, doesn't, it doesn't help. It actually runs away from what is helpful. And so to believe the lie that you can't get help, like it is too deep, um, you got to know it's a lie. That's powerful. Now, I know all of you uh, are our counselors who are also followers of Jesus. And if we had more time, we could talk through each of your journeys that led you into the sacred work that you're in. But I have to believe that a part of that journey and calling is you have a vision for what you hope people would experience, not just all of these things that we describe, anxiety, shame, depression, suicidal ideation, loneliness, but like the ideal like the picture that you're praying God will bring them into. Um, I, one of the questions I asked you to kind of think about before is, is there a scripture or a, a passage that kind of forms up the vision 
uh, of what you're hoping to do with people? Because I think for many people who are watching who are battling mental health issues is they've been in that issue. They've been in that place maybe silently for so long that they've lost a picture of, of that life that they were created for. Um, is there a passage that, that really motivates you to help them move towards that? Well, the first time I did this with Cornerstone, we yes. were talking about in the wilderness. Uh-huh. And one of the passages that you mentioned that's my life verse is that um, God says he's going to lead us into the wilderness to speak tenderly to us. And I think that what I want my clients, what I want people in the church to hear is God in those disappointing places. Mm. So often we look for him to answer us and love us in our circumstances, but it's actually when the circumstances aren't ideal that he can speak to our hearts. Joey, I know you left your phone over here next to me. Did you have a scripture you wanted to share? Um, you got to use your microphone. Yeah, that was, that was one just not addressing your exact question okay. there. So I'm thinking actually on the fly for, for different scriptures. So okay. come back to me on that one. Does Robin have one? Well, I just think a few of the Psalms, um, I take great comfort in David's words. Um, maybe it's Psalm 55, 17, don't hold me to it, but it, he says, um, morning and evening and at noon, I complain and I murmur and you hear my voice. Mm. And like that, when I discovered that verse years ago, I, there's my permission, right? Because I was raised to, you know, to just keep it good and in the box and speak highly of, at all times. But where do I go with all the angst? And that verse was that permission for, oh, there is a place and he's inviting me and he can handle it and um, to let that out. And, um, and I think that's what Jesus ultimately wants from us is to be unlocked. And if we're trapping those bigger emotions inside, there's no way we can live unlocked. That's awesome. Scott, I think that question is a little unfair, too. Okay. <laughs> Just tell me. Tell me how it is. <laughs> so, I mean, you say, hey, well, is, there, is there a verse that, that helps guide you? Uh, well, yeah, but to limit it to just one okay. seems like an impossible task, right? Um, because it's, it's a, a culmination of, of a whole lot of different things. And so that question, though, leads me to one, though, that okay. does surface and say – you know, if I can incorporate this in my own life and if I can help my clients incorporate this, um, maybe it starts piecing things together. And that goes back to Proverbs 3, 5, 6. And that's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he's going to make your path straight. And what, if I'm working with something, well, if I'm not trusting and leaning on the Lord and somebody's leaning on me, I'm putting myself in a really bad spot. Hmm. Um, and if I could help somebody to trust and lean on the Lord, then when things don't make sense, which they won't always make sense, their security in God being faithful and true. And not on you, but on the Lord. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Joey? All right, I'm going to go here. So kind of in, in Kyle's vein here, so in Genesis 1, there's two creation accounts, but the first one about when God creates heaven and earth and each time he says it's good he creates the birds of the air the light and the darkness each day he says it is good mm -hmm. and we would think that a perfect god by nature he's perfect could easily say it was perfect but mm -hmm. he said it is good so there's a gap between good and perfect 
And for me, growing up more of in a, in a perfection fundamentalist church upbringing, where you're, you were measured on on performance and things were really black and white, um, that's very helpful because it shows there's in between good and perfect, there's this space to grow towards something. And even in the New Testament, when Paul talks about all creation long, has this longing and groaning for that day Romans of completion, 8, yeah. Romans 8. So even embedded in the fabric of creation is this this going from good to perfect, and we're it allows this sort of grace fabric in even the creation from day one. To me, that's a model for, for myself, for my clients, for people that we don't have to be perfect, but we are in process of, of being good enough. And the good enough is, is the thing that guides me. And so it's just this grace-based worldview that's, that's deeply embedded even in creation. And that's, that's my starting point, and it even ends in the Romans 8. So that's, that's my, my front end and back end. That's awesome. I got one more question I'm going to ask them, but I wanted you to know that we want to hear from you. And so if you're watching and you have a question for us today and you're watching live, you can text a question that I can ask these guys and hopefully they'll be nicer to you than they were with me when they didn't like my question. So you can text uh, to the number 928-288-5490. Text us your question and we will do our best to include it in a second during our live Q&A. so nine two eight two eight eight five four nine zero. Did you have something you were going to share, Rob? Uh, just to coattail, I, I was raised in a church. I would say very similar to what Joey was describing, and there was always this sense of not being enough. Um, and I think the thing that overwhelmed me as I came to see God's grace and His love, uh, if, if there's a verse that that maybe represents that, it's that we love because He first loved us. First John four nineteen, mm-hmm. um, to the point where I would say I think our my, my my main task in this world is to let God love me, and, and if, if I get that, everything else falls in place. And if you're letting God love you, then you're creating a space. I think then to help other people discover. That's my desire for everybody I work with. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to ask the band to come up now. They're going to lead us in a song, and that'll be a chance for you to text in your question. Again, that number is nine two eight. 288-5490. If something sparked in you today and you realize, man, I, I really need to start this journey of counseling, uh, we would celebrate that. Uh, we're big believers that Jesus has done everything needed for us to be saved and redeemed from our sins. But if you want to become more like Jesus, I think counseling is a great tool to that end. And uh, if somebody wants to buy me or make me a t-shirt that says, uh, I need Jesus and a good therapist, I will wear that. Um, And so I want to encourage you, um, if you want to learn more about these counselors or some of the resources they recommend, you can go today to prescottcornerstone.com slash mental hyphen health. We'll have that page up for some time in the weeks to come. And so uh, it's, it's really great to be in a community where we have some resources like you guys to be able to connect to. Thanks, guys. Uh, That song is called Here Again, and I think it's just a powerful testament of our desire uh, for God to meet us in this place with the kind of honesty and transparency that we've been talking about. So again, we're going to take some questions right now. If you haven't texted your question in, you can text it to the number 928-288-5490. We'll do best to get to all of those today. We also want to acknowledge on a couple of our platforms, we've had some uh, buffering issues with our stream, and so... uh, it's often easy to just refresh uh, your stream or your connection. That often remedies uh, the issue. Um, you know, Robin, one of the questions that came up was we talked about a book that discussed the difference between uh, little T trauma and big T trauma. Can you mention the name of that book? Do you remember? 
Yes, that uh, book's called Try Softer, and it's written by a Christian therapist. Yes. And she does a great job um, helping the just the layperson understand how our brain stores trauma. Because it's stored in a different part of our brain than our other parts. And so the part of trauma work is, is kind of refiling that well. So it loses that, that sharpness. Awesome. One of the questions that came in was, you know, uh, often in a family, there is one person, um, who is dealing with an issue and needs to get some help, but there's not support from maybe the spouse or the rest of the family. Do you guys have any thoughts on coaching? A person said coaching me through, I need to get help, but my family's not supportive. Yeah, so, I mean, as a marriage and family therapist, uh, we think very systemically. And you often have a, a piece of the family that is not interested in change or doesn't believe they need to change. Everybody else around me can change and things will improve. And um, if you work with who's willing to come and you create positive change, it inevitably affects everybody else. And that is like the same concept that Jesus gives us. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. And so if we can affect positive change when people are open to it, I think we can start making some good changes in the family system. So I think just to repeat back, so you would say if that person wants to get help, you'd encourage them to start getting help themselves and then leave those other people to have their own process. Right. So an example of a a couple, um, if you have a marriage that is – in need of help and one of the spouses does not want to come into counseling if you have one spouse fighting for that marriage it's over 70 percent chance that things are going to improve and they stay together wow wow um another question is um uh we've been talking about i think some issues that are um i think are are maybe more I don't want to use the word easily addressed, but maybe are, are, are less um, brain chemical based and then ones that aren't. And so one of the questions is any chance you can address the truly unspoken severe mental health issues like bipolar, paranoid, schizophrenia? Because um, I think they're kind of acknowledging there's actually a couple different categories that we're in. And so does anybody want to talk about, um, you know, the, the quote, more severe, truly unspoken mental health issues? Um, I think it's just, you know, I think they're looking to, I, th- I think that maybe, maybe, and I'm, I'm reading into this, so pardon, pardon me if this is your question, but I think maybe the sense was we were kind of staying with, you know, maybe less severe mental health issues mm-hmm. and maybe they're dealing with more severe mental health issues. And how do we, how are the, how are those addressed from a faith-based perspective or what do you, how, how can we, how can we better create space for those in the church maybe? Everybody's knocking themselves out. There, there, is a, there is a book that I um, that I read that I put on the re- recommended list mm-hmm. um, a, about a a doctor from Ireland and her experience uh, of severe mental illness. And what I like about it is it it's it's not a happy ever a, a, after ending. It's it's not resolved, but nevertheless, it's about in the process learning to. Uh, trust God um, with the problem unresolved. And, and I think that um, the church does struggle with accepting that uh, some things are not fully resolved until heaven. Mm-hmm. And what's the yeah. name of that book again, Rob? 
That's we'll make, escaping me. We'll make sure. Well, if it's not on the list, we'll make sure it's there. Uh, it is, on, it is on the list. It's, cannot, it's on the list you sent me, but I wasn't able to put all the names of the books on there. So it's by Sharon Hastings. Okay, we'll make sure that it's. We'll we'll confirm when the service is done. We'll make sure it's on the list. By, it's her own personal memoir. Okay, and it's. I, I think for anybody struggling with it, it would be very helpful. Awesome. Joey? I think what I'm hearing, too, there's behind that question, there are sometimes very severe things that we, we experience where we ask God for healing. And some of these are these access to diagnoses. Sometimes there's heavier mental health questions like schizophrenia and some of these deeper ones that we don't see overnight change we don't even see sometimes years change and why, why isn't god answering these deep long prayers why why is there healing why, why if god's all powerful why aren't we seeing results to rob's point we need to ask ourselves what are what does healing look like on this planet on, on earth this side of eternity mm. and and what does wholeness look like um it's a it's a fair question because in my in my take we we go through life toward wholeness versus getting wholeness we go through life toward healing not getting full healing till we are with Jesus face to face. And that's, that's a wrestling and that's not really a satisfying answer, but it's something that we have to work toward. Um, so I don't have a fully satisfying answer for that, but it's, um, what sounds like it's, it's linked to, I think what we talked about earlier with the conversation in the church around those kind of maybe heavier or more, maybe vulnerable emotions Mm -hmm. that we tend to like those safer emotions and those more resolved stories. Mm -hmm. And then we have a moment where somebody shares some of those more intense, vulnerable, maybe even what we would call negative emotions Mm -hmm. or their story doesn't resolve, you know, with three points in a poem. And, and then what do you do with that? I think what you're trying to help us go is leave space for God's work to not necessarily fit this very precise pattern. Can we, can we, can we hold faith and can we also hold unresolved in this life? And those two need to find a place to work and live together. Yeah. Robin, did you have something you want to share? Well, I also hear you were all, we're all jumping on, but now I think we had a slow warm up there because it is so hard. And one of the things I think we'd all want to say is that is a very lonely, lonely life mm. and very painful. And, and when, what Joey was saying about, um, holding faith and unresolved, that's very painful mm-hmm. and there's no quick answer. And so all, I think all of our therapist brains are like getting very complicated in our response to just respect yeah. that. And I just, one thought is, um, whatever we've been birthed with, um, what does it look like to, um, to represent um, Jesus with schizophrenia, Jesus with bipolar versus I got to fix this and then I could, I can be this, but it's, Mm. it's, if Jesus had bipolar, how would Jesus live a bipolar, uh, a life of bipolar? If Jesus had schizophrenia, how would he live a life with schizophrenia versus trying to like segment? That's powerful. One of the questions we got was about all of these incredible counselors and their availability. And so on the page, com slash mental hyphen health, we've listed all of their names and contact information. Um, five of the six of them, other than Robin, are taking new clients. And so if this conversation has awakened or, to use Robin's term, unlocked something within you or you realize, hey, I... I need to I need to meet with somebody. Their info is all there, and you can reach out to them directly to see about scheduling an appointment. Um, did you have something you were going to say, Rob, down there? Or are you good? I did. I'm trying and to it's gone. All the, all the, 
all the mics going back up. They're just trying to make sure everybody has their chance to share. So, yeah, it's gone now. Okay, <laughs> if it comes back and I get the chance, I'll let you know. Well, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you guys. If you watched this service live at nine o'clock, I can promise you that uh, there will be some different things at the eleven o'clock service because this group has gotten really warmed up and excited. And so, we'd encourage you if you want to to join us as well. You can also let your friends know that we'll be live at eleven, and um, we'll make sure that we post both of these on our YouTube page at youtube.com/slash Prescott Cornerstone. But if you have a mental health need and you need to speak with somebody today, uh, we'd encourage you to go to prescottcornerstone.com slash mental health. There's a form at the bottom of that page. And uh, if you need help getting connected to help, either individual or, or group, um, or you can speak to somebody today, please reach out and we would love to follow up with you and come alongside you. Uh, I'm going to pray and then the band is going to lead us in just a little section of that song here again. Heavenly Father, uh, we know that today is just one, one moment, one hour in the grand scheme of life. Uh, but we pray that this time has given space uh, for a conversation that needs to be happening more consistently. Uh, we pray that for everybody who watched today, that they felt like this was a safe space to be wherever they are and however they are. We pray that you uh, would help us to see that you are right here with us whether we're battling anxiety or bipolar, uh, whether we're battling PTSD or schizophrenia, where we're just feeling isolated and lonely, you are present here with us and you do not reject us or shame us because of what we are going through. You are present here with us in love and you're promising to walk with us. As several people on this panel have said, the future isn't just a nice bow, and package resolved really easily. Uh, we wish that that would be our story, but you don't promise us that. But you do promise us that you're never going to leave us and you're never going to forsake us. And we pray that we can be the kind of people who not only believe that for ourselves, but walk with others. And we pray that we can be a church that offers a loving, empathetic, compassionate presence to our friends and brothers and sisters who are hurting. And we pray that you would work in our lives in a real and tangible way. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift that these counselors are to our church and community. And we pray for the stories that you're going to write of, of, of hope that come out of this conversation today. In your name we pray. Amen.